Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. I feel especially comfortable talking uh, this afternoon because, first of all, Mike and I have talked yesterday and today, so we're more or less on the same page. But secondly, we can lead in with oil and gas, and I'll do a little capital market. But I think when we get to tech, when we get to chips and software and other tech companies, geopolitics is going to be what we talk about today, given the situation with Russia and the Ukraine. As far as oil goes, thing we learned yesterday, we should have known it last week. But the reason the price of oil is going up, and it's totally impossible to predict what it might go to. Uh, I mean, pick a number, 120, 150, you know, any number you, you, you could pick, it could exceed. What has happened is that Russia produces 10 million barrels a day. The three large producers, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the United States, the United States is actually a little ahead. We were 13 and kind of gotten back. We get as low as 11 and we're actually back to 12. Uh, Saudi is around and then they say they have 2 million barrels of extra capacity and no one's quite sure, including them, whether they really have extra capacity. And then there's Russia, which is around 10. We think that Russia exports around 6 out of 10 as crude and product. And in order to export a barrel of oil, the buyer has to post a letter of credit. And what the letter of credit says is that you can draw on it. In other words, whoever the producer is, let's say it's Rosneft, can draw on that. And as the crude is loaded, you post the LC and then Rosneft can draw on that oil. And that is the way the business works. It doesn't matter what your credit's standing. You can be Exxon or Shell or someone. You still have to post an LC. No one wants to put the LCs up. European banks don't want to do it. U.S. banks don't want to do it. And apparently Chinese banks will not do it. The reason they don't want to do it is over the weekend, the U.S. Treasury, working with its counterparts in Europe, froze all the assets of the Russian Central Bank outside of Russia. This was not anticipated, and it has caused complete chaos. The ruble is not being traded. They, in effect, closed ruble trading. Nothing like this has ever been done before. And consequently, banks will not post LC. If banks don't post LC, the oil is not going to be loaded. I suspect that the Biden administration, the Treasury Department, the State Department, didn't realize the impact of what they were doing. So now you have 6 million barrels a day that is not going to move. This is equivalent to what happened to the oil market in May of 2020 when storage was filled and there was no place to go with the oil. And a lot of you will remember that uh, the June contract in May actually closed at like a minus $30. This is the reverse of that. So the price of oil can go to any number. From an investment point of view, it doesn't really make a difference. If you look at the curve now, the 23, 24 price is 70, 72, up from 60. So if you own Pioneer or Yochi or Magnolia or Diamondback or whatever you own, or Rally Permian, one of the companies I sit on the board of, you know, you're bigger $70. I mean, the fact that it 
trade for a while here at twice that just doesn't mean being. But what is going to happen, which I'm sure the Biden White House didn't expect, is a gasoline. You know, I, I recommend if you're out and about, uh, fill up your tank. I promise you gasoline will cost more next week and the week after. This will ripple through the economy. And, you know, it's not going to be good for anyone. The same thing has happened in Medco. Medco yesterday went up $100. What in the world was going on? Well, once we talked to people who were active in the business of moving, Medco realized what happened. The, the LC support just isn't there. The other thing that happened in Medco is there's flooding in Queensland, which is very important as part of the seaboard market. Seaboard markets may be 300 million tons. So Australia is 200 or 300. And probably 30% of it comes from Queensland. If, if the mines in Queensland are flooded, they're out for 30 or 45 or 60 days. So, but if we had more to do with that 30 million tons coming from Russia without LCs, it's just not going to move. So that's the oil market. And, and also comment on geopolitics. The gas market is quite strong. One of the things that's happened is you can't get LCs with thermal coal. Russia produces a lot of thermal coal. So the price of thermal coal in Europe has been bid up. The price of thermal coal in Asia has been bid up. That means U.S. thermal coal will be exported. That means thermal coal prices will be higher, which means more gas will be used. So if you're worried about the $4 price in natural gas coming down based on the curve and getting to 320 or something in, in 23 or 24, a uh, little less likely to happen because that thermal coal pricing will last for a while and, and that'll mean more gas will be used to make power in this country. Obviously, LNG prices are very, very high. In terms of geopolitics impact on uh, natural gas prices, natural gas prices in the U.S. will not be a net back from LNG prices until there's more LNG capacity. It takes a lot of money and a long time to build LNG capacity, but capacity now, 12 and a half, is being fully utilized, and that LNG capacity will march up at around two bees a day indefinitely. I think at this point that Germany, for example, which resisted having any LNG capacity, is now moving forward with two LNG import terminals. Poland, who did an LNG import terminal, is much more comfortable in terms of gas. No one in Europe is going to think that buying gas from Russia is uh, is kind of a reliable thing to do. So they'll burn a lot of thermal coal, put in LNG export capacity, and you know the LNG price will continue to trade pretty high even as we get into summer. Now, from a commentary on Russia and Ukraine, clearly from a human cost point of view and whatnot, everyone hopes and encourages uh, a ceasefire. What Russia wanted in return for not coming in as a commitment for Ukraine not to join NATO, well, uh, we weren't, and the Europeans weren't willing to do that. I think if you had a ceasefire in place where Zelensky would continue to be the head of the government and Russia would have the right to leave 50,000 troops and tanks and whatnot at various points in the Ukraine, well, that should solve the issue that Putin was pointing to. 
that doesn't happen, it, it's just going to get much worse. I mean, the capital markets will be disturbed for longer. The oil market will be disturbed for longer. The net coal market. The other thing that you've seen, and we're beginning to learn about this because we're starting to store in one of our facilities or vegetable oil to make uh, renewable diesel. And one of the things in the thought commodities, soybeans, wheat, barley, they've all gone up a lot. What I have appreciated is how important the Ukraine is, and for that matter, Russia, in terms of supplying these soft commodities to the market. So the inflation news in the U.S. from, from both food and fuel is not going to get better anytime soon. Obviously, a ceasefire and having everything try to go back towards normal uh, would help enormously. Exxon is pulled out of Stockholm Island. Shell is pulled out of Stockholm Island. BP is selling a 20% interest in Rosneft. Rosneft is almost 5 million barrels a day. BP over the weekend, directed by the British government, basically signed that 20% back to Rosneft, uh, a million barrels a day. Really kind of extraordinary. Never seen anything like that. I don't think even if there's a ceasefire, that's reverses. You know, Putin, I, I'm afraid, didn't realize what he was doing. And to a certain extent, the Biden administration, when they froze half of the assets of the Russian central bank outside of Russia, probably didn't realize the full consequences of what they were doing. But that's where it is now. Before we get into tech stuff and the impact on geopolitics of tech, I mean, obviously, Taiwan Semiconductor. I think what China's learning here is that to mount a campaign on Taiwan and have the same thing happen to them is just unacceptable disruption of commerce in China. So I don't think they'll stop running planes in the no-fly zone and, and contesting with Vietnam on whether or not these man-made islands belong to China. They'll continue to be active on those fronts. But I think the chance of a organized invasion of Taiwan, given what's happened to Russia and the Ukraine, just went way, way down. And I don't think there's any way the Chinese want to risk their economy by having the same kinds of things happen to them. Before we turn it back to turn it over to Mike, if I were an Apple stockholder, and I'm not, that'd make me feel a little more comfortable about Apple. If I'm a NVIDIA stockholder, which I am through Mike's partnership, that makes me feel much more comfortable about Taiwan Semiconductor being there to uh, make NVIDIA chips uh, so that they have an, you know, a, a second source to Samsung. Uh, I'm not sure I'd get to the point where I'd buy Alibaba or Tencent or anything like that on CATL and CYD, who are preeminent in making batteries. And Michael had to speak for himself. Mike's in charge of this partnership we're both part of, but I mean, I, I just don't think I'd own a Chinese stock. It's not that they're going to go to Taiwan. It's just that the leadership, the Communist Party, has decided these companies are going to answer to China first and the stockholders second. I just want to comment on interest rates. The result of the, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is that the 10-year bond has gone from two 10 or whatever it was, down to like 170. The two-year bond, which pretty much forecasts federal funds increased rates, has also come down, I don't know, by 20, 30 basis points. I think there's no question that the Fed, when it meets later this month, was thinking that they were so far behind 
they should increase the federal funds rate by 50 basis points, not 25 basis points. I think that's unlikely to happen under the theory that, you know, capital markets are already royal. Sunday night, when if you tuned into the Bloomberg commentary, that some of the commentators, especially from Europe, were likening the move against the Russian central bank being equivalent, an equivalent event to Lehman bankruptcy. You know, fortunately, we've gotten to Wednesday and nothing that bad has happened in the capital markets. But I think that'll make the uh, Federal Reserve much more cautious and much more likely to just do 25 basis points at their meeting later this month. European Central Bank had indicated that they may start increasing their base rate, but they were forecast to do two increases of a quarter point each. Now, they're thinking just one. In terms of going to from QE to QT or quantitative tightening and starting to reduce the uh, Fed balance sheet, I think that will be extended. I think they'll start, well, they'll stop by for sure. There's no way at this next meeting. But whether or not they announce that they're not going to reinvest interest coupons and payments, I, I, I think it's likely that they'll put that off till the next quarter. And so it, it'll be a, a less steep glide curve back to you know where they should be, which is not $9 trillion, but something like $4 trillion. I think all that is probably good for the stock market. I think the market for stocks will benefit from a ceasefire. If it doesn't happen, I think there'll be continued uncertainty. And probably if you've got your favorite stock that you want to add to or buy in the first place, I think it will get cheaper. We're in a period of time which doesn't really have a precedent. Uncertainty like that will typically bring market valuations down. In terms of the political impact of all this, the only thing I'd say if you're hoping that Nancy Pelosi loses the gavel and Kevin McCarthy picks it up in the House, it, it's, it's just a shame all this is happening in March rather than October. It makes holding the House for the Democrats, I think, even less likely. With that, I've chewed through at least half of my 30 minutes. So over to you, Mike. You hit the three things that I think I wanted to cover and then dive into, and that's essentially the effect of the war in Ukraine on everybody else. So in the U.S., we're already seeing increasing inflation, but the effect of this war may actually be net benefit. We have a relatively strong economy. We have good, strong employment numbers. As far as the predictions for what the Fed's going to do regarding tightening, it seems like those factors from the war are going to cause more inflation, which is probably going to cause the Fed to be more hawkish, not less hawkish. So from a perspective of what do you want to be in, I don't think it's this high growth names that, you know, we've talked about some of the software as a services companies. Those are the ones that typically get beat up in this scenario. Some of the big tech companies are a little safer to be in when it comes to that. Value stocks in general tend to be a better place to be. But like Hunt said, they'll probably be better timing to buy than today. In Europe, it's a little different because I think their economy is not quite as good. And the inflation effects of the things happening in Ukraine may be worse than what we will see. 
I'm not really looking at much in Europe aside from a few semiconductor companies that are there. And I'll come back to semiconductors in a second. China, the opposite's happening. They're easing. The monetary policy is easier right now. So that would technically bode well for equities, which brings up the, the point that Hunt said as to whether you could get comfortable with BYD or CATL. And the, the answer from my perspective is I'm not there yet. I agree with Hunt when it comes to Taiwan. The Taiwan-China situation is not the same as the Ukraine-Russia situation. Ukraine is a very minor economy. Taiwan has global implications. And if it was this unpopular for Russia to invade Ukraine, you can imagine that the world response to China forcing their way into Taiwan would be far, far worse. So I think that actually bodes well for the long-term U.S.-China relationship. It bodes well for the long-term independence of Taiwan. So I think that's all pretty good. The other thing that's being impacted by all of this is some shifts in the semiconductor industry. Specifically, you're seeing a lot of demand to pull some production of semiconductors out of Taiwan, Asia, China, and into the U.S., Europe, and other places. Right now, there's a shortage of semiconductors, so it makes sense to build more fabs. But if that kind of bifurcation remain, then maybe the next cycle and this cycle of semiconductors persist because of the split. We end up moving a lot more production onshore versus offshore. I'm not convinced that that's actually going to be the case, but the trickle-down effect is that the semiconductor equipment suppliers are in relatively good position for the next three to five years because of the increased investment in fabs. And that's happening. Intel, for example, builds a big fab in Ohio. It's happening in Europe. A bunch of countries are now coming around to the idea that we need to level the playing field, if you will, against Asian countries where some of the semiconductor manufacturing is happening. So I think that's an area to watch. There are actually some value plays within that sector that are U.S.-based companies that would be worth looking at. I think there are still opportunities um, and I just think it's sort of unprecedented that uh, conflicting economic circumstances and existential threats that keeps us on our toes. I don't know that. Just to reemphasize what Mike is saying, ASML in, in, in Europe, the semiconductor equipment manufacturers in the U.S. probably worth a look. The only thing I'd say is that and this is something I've learned from Mike and remember from, you know, not having invested in semiconductors earlier is you can get oversupply of fab capacity. Mike sent around a really neat set of comments from someone who had gone to the Intel investor day and they're clearly going to spend a great deal of money with this kind of spending that Taiwan semiconductors doing that. Intel is doing that probably others like Global Foundries are going to do. Sooner or later, uh, there'll be too much capacity. I've seen a couple of interviews on Bloomberg with Pat Elsinger, and he says, no, things have changed. Chips are in everything now. The, the Bloomberg, you know, overcapacity is not likely to happen. Well, remember, in investing, some of the most dangerous words are different this time. And so Mike is 
still pretty cool intel. I mean, you'd love to see this CEO work, you know, turn it around like Microsoft was turned around, but it's a, it's a different kind of business, very capital intensive. And if your goal is to have a lot of free cash flow, there won't be too much free cash flow at Intel over the next couple of years. With that, I think we've pretty well exhausted our 30 minutes. And in the meantime, uh, we have nice blue skies here in the Northeast. It's probably still nicer in San Diego with Mike this year, but we're getting great weather. Just a commentary on degree days for fossil fuel people or people who own star group. The degree day through is measured in Central Park through this morning, only about 200 behind. There are about 4,000 degree days in a year from uh, July 1 to June 30. When you get to the first week of March and you're only 200 behind, that's only 5% warmer than normal. That's pretty well secures your winter. All that's good. That's also obviously good for natural gas. And with that, everyone stay well, and we'll talk next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.